Thank you for joining us for episode 422 of Live Happy Now. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and this week I'm talking with Brett Crozier, a 30-year Navy veteran who became a household name when he stood up for his men and women during the pandemic. As commanding officer of the USS Theodore, his actions led to his dismissal, but it also provided an incredible example of leadership and following your conscience. With his new book, Surf When You Can, Brett shares some of the many valuable lessons he's learned as a military leader, and he's here today to talk about kindness, relationships, and the importance of creating a life-work balance. Let's have a listen. Brett, thank you so much for joining me on Live Happy Now. Thanks, Paula. Happy to be here today. We have so much to talk about. You have such an interesting story. And one thing that's very unusual is that most people learned about you when you very publicly lost your job. And that is not normally where we start, but I feel that's really a great starting point for us. So can you uh, recap that story for us? Sure. Yeah, I I served in the Navy for 30 years. At the end, I was the commanding officer of a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier with about 5,000 people on board. And and in March of 2020, if we remember that time and in all our lives, we were all trying to figure out what COVID meant and how to deal with the pandemic. And, And the Navy was no different. And we unfortunately got some cases of COVID on the ship. And if you've ever been on a Navy ship or a cruise ship for that matter, that's not the or that's not the place to fight a pandemic, as it were. And, <laughs> it's a and so we were doing dish. all it's a petri dish. And we were doing all we could to get the help we needed and take care of the sailors. And you know, I think I think a leader's number one priority is to take care of the people that, that work for them. And and so to that end, I you know, I, I sent an email asking for assistance and help because we just weren't was a lot of a lot of roadblocks, I guess, barriers that were preventing us from getting the help we needed as quickly as we needed it. And I, and in fact, it worked. I got I got the help we needed, and um, but I got fired in the end because I think higher up in the military, maybe at the administration level at the time, there was concerns that it was you know bringing unwanted attention to this problem that obviously we were all coming to grips with, and so I got fired. But I, I say that, and I'll be honest, when I when I was reaching out for help and sent the email, I knew that was a possibility. And, so when that came to be true, I left the ship and got a nice send off from the crew of five thousand, kind of thanking me for for sticking my neck out, as it were. And then yeah, that that well. video of you leaving the ship, I mean, that was on every news broadcast. It's it went so viral. It's very stirring. And what strikes me, and and again, in your book, you talk about this, but you knew that standing up and doing the right thing would likely cost you your job. And you had a storied 30-year career in the military. So why was it that it was more important to you to do the right thing for your men than to protect your own career? Yeah, it certainly became a, you know, maybe a conscience over career moment for me. You know, one that forced me to kind of recognize, you know, the reason I had been so successful and I had risen to the the rank that I was and had been entrusted with the aircraft carrier command the same things that may be successful meant at the end when when I was in this difficult situation, you know, was it now the time to change my priorities? I learned early on in my career, and I think the military does a good job of teaching people all about leadership and what that means. But for me, it was pretty clear. Your job as leaders is to take care of your people. You have missions, you have important things you try to do, but you've got to take care of your people. So fast forward now, you know, 25 plus years later and command of the, of the carrier, which I got to say, it's the best job I ever could have. I could fly a helicopter one day, fighter the next day, drive the ship through the South China Sea with, you know, the Chinese chasing us. 
it was a lot of fun with a lot of people. But when we had that moment where the crew that, that had made me so successful, the strength of the ship, as we say, was an extremis. I knew that as the commanding officer, as the, the CEO of the ship, I had to, I had to take a stand on their behalf and, and, and do all I could to minimize the risk. They, re, they remain my priority. So I knew the risks exist and I knew that I, never, I didn't really think that there was anybody in the military or all the way up to the executive branch that didn't want what was best for the crew. But I also knew that no one wanted it more than I did. And I knew it had to be done quickly. So that, you know, that allowed me in that moment, the conscience versus career. Career is nothing if you don't stand by your morals and and the reason you got there to begin with. And I didn't want to turn my back on it. It's just suddenly now because it might rock the boat, as they say in the Navy. So it, it made sense. And and that's that also allowed me to come at, you know, be pretty much at peace after the decision was made to remove me from the ship, that I'd be okay. I mean, I wasn't, I was, I took a stand for what I believed in, for the, what I believed was the right reasons. And if I had to do it again, I'd like to think I'd do the same thing. But that also meant that on the back end, when you make those kind of tough career versus conscious, you know, decisions, if you do it right, you'll be able to stand by whatever that decision is, regardless of what happens to you. And in my case, I felt pretty comfortable with my decision and, and therefore had no bitterness when I left. That's incredible. And what were you thinking and what were you feeling when your men were cheering, they were chanting your name? I mean, that's such a powerful video yeah. and it's, that's as a spectator. So what was it like for you to experience that? Yeah. So men and women, you know, all the men and women of the crew were there and I certainly didn't anticipate it. I actually thought I was just going to sneak off the ship and, <laughs> and go about my day didn't happen. And, uh, and go quarantine or something. But so, yeah, it definitely, it was, I just remember being super cognizant of the fact that, okay, it's one thing to talk about, you know, and I already already been told to leave the ship and, but then to understand and get the recognition from the crew, which is why I made the decision in the first place was, was, I don't say company is the right word, but with some validation that, that my decision was correct. And I think it was the crew's way of, of thanking me first, you know, because they knew the problems that existed. They were, I mean, they had phones and they were following information in the news and they were texting their families and stuff. And, and they knew they needed help and they knew they weren't getting the help. And, and they're in the military, you're not always in a position of power when you're at a lower rank or, you know, really everybody has somebody has a boss. So I think they felt like they were in a tough situation with this, you know, rapidly spreading, virus that we hadn't really understood and they they needed somebody to take care of them and so that was kind of what i chose to do so i think it was yeah it was their way of thanking me and then i also think in some ways you know our mission was to be ready to go into combat that's that's why you have a military hopefully you don't but you're ready when you do so i always used to talk about it you know be ready for the fight when the day comes meaning be ready for what we're ultimately here it called upon that should be your focus but here i am leaving them Right, I'm leaving the ship mm -hmm. when they have this fight ahead of them uh, with COVID, and so I like to think, in some ways, too, that the send off was their way of saying that, "Hey, Captain, we got it. We're going to continue to fight. You've trained us well. We've got a good team here." And and they did exactly that. I mean, I left the ship and got to quarantine for a bit, and they went on, and you know, we got the help we needed. We got them off the ship. We got them quarantined, but then, in in no short order, they came back and were back at sea doing amazing things. And I give them yeah. credit for for doing well in that tough situation. So that was, that was kind of, so that I, had to be a source of pride. Like even, you know, that true measure of success for them to be able to carry on after you've left, that means you really did do your job. Yeah. That's a test, right? Is if you know, have you trained them well enough? Did you set the culture correctly? And then therefore you can step back as a leader and watch them do it. And they did exactly what you'd hope. And, you know, I don't, I don't get any, I mean, I get some, maybe some credit and I'd like to think, but but there's also was an incredible leadership team there that was put in place too. And I want to make sure they get credit for 
the day in day out stuff. We, you know, we had trained well, we had a great culture and they didn't miss a beat. They continued to, to fight to the end and, and did a really good job. And that's, uh, you know, I was proud of them. And I talk about it in the book, I, I live in San Diego. So when the Theodore Roosevelt, the, the ship we're talking about came back from that deployment a couple months later, a good friend of mine and I, we took our paddle boards and we left Coronado and paddled out a little ways, a mile offshore. And just so we could see the ship pull in um, as it came into San Diego Bay. So perfect, gorgeous day, water's calm, good day to be paddleboard. And if you like to do that, and then here comes the ship and, you know, we were a safe distance away, but it was, it was very heartening to see the ship pull in all the sailors in their whites, manning the rails, as we call it, which means they stand, you know, at attention around the side of the ship, you know, the thousand foot ship. And so to see that, know they successfully got back to sea, trained, got what they needed to do, you know, continued the deployment and then came back uh, later on a couple months later was kind of just came full circle right now. Now, everything I'd, I'd done and the reason I did it, got to see that that actually they they were able to continue on and do exactly what I hoped is come back safely into San Diego. So yeah, it was a, it was a good moment. That's heartening. And, and so at what point did you decide that you were going to write this book? And and you have so many life lessons, like you have this great storage of, of stories and, and lessons. And so at what point did you say, you know what, I can do something with these and I can turn this into a book? I like to joke that it was the point my wife said she was tired of my sea stories. <laughs> I, she'd Tell heard them, them all, to someone but, else. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think for me, and it was, it was certainly a, a weird way to leave that job, you know, I went on for to serve for two more years in the Navy and had a great job. And I, uh, and, and to be fair, you know, I, I got to keep flying fighters. So it was, you know, it didn't, it didn't end poorly after I left uh, the ship, but I had those two years to think about, you know, what's, what's right for me. And, and as they say, written out is thought out. So I knew that the writing process would help me capture some of the things I wanted to talk about. And I think first and foremost, I wanted to thank uh, the sailors, the men and women that I served mm -hmm. with, flew with, sailed with, and I wanted them to know how much I appreciated the time that I that I had in the Navy with all of them, and and those even not in the Navy, those overseas that I met. I think I think life is about relationships, and I think I wanted to make sure I paid tribute to all the incredible relationships that I had over my thirty years in the Navy. And then I, I think second was that I thought you know I've got I've learned so many incredible things from the military. They, the military does a great job of training leaders, treating you you know how to just how to live, and and I. And I, and then I learned through my own experiences and the people I met. So I said, you know, I, I really wanted to write a book that allows me to share all these cool things that people shared with me, all these life lessons I learned through people I met all over the world. And I thought that was really my second way is how do I share these incredible stories that I've been gifted throughout my life and, and, uh, in a ways that resonate with a broad audience. And, and I, and I did try to write to an audience that was beyond just, you know, the military genre and that's mm -hmm. the background, but I, but I hope it resonates for the majority of the world that doesn't serve in the military. And I think third, you know, for me personally, I, I think there was a lot of speculation that I was bitter after I left the Navy or after I left the ship. And, and I didn't, I didn't sort of like the decision that I was relieved, but that's how it works sometimes and leadership roles and you make the best decision you can for the right reasons. And if, if your bosses don't agree, then they get to decide otherwise. And that's, so I wasn't surprised and I wasn't also, I wasn't bitter. You know, I served 30 years, another two years after I left the ship. My wife's a, a Navy dependent. Her dad was a Navy, Navy. My oldest son was an air crewman in the Navy. My middle son is in the Navy right now. So we, we kind of joke that it's a family business, of course, but <laughs> well, although now I grow my hair out a little bit longer than I did in the military, but <laughs> but but I wanted people, I wanted to dispel the, the myth that it was written out of bitterness or that my story right. was one of bitterness. 
I, I really was never bitter. I, again, I can disagree with decisions being made above me, but there's there's not a single day that there were sad days, there were hard days, but I learned every single day that I had in the Navy. And, and I think and I appreciate the opportunity to serve as long as I did. And, and I want to make sure people knew I was okay with that. It's, and um, you are I'm, so okay with that. That's, I think it's surprising how accepting and how philosophical you are about it. And to, can you explain to us why you titled it Surf When You Can? Well, I do like to surf, although to be fair, I'm a very mediocre surfer. So don't, don't look for me on the tour. But I think not just for leaders, but for all of us, I think having a good life work balance, and I say it in that order intentionally, is, is critical. It's critical to your own personal growth, your relationships you're in, your work as well. So surfing for me is kind of a metaphor about how you maintain that balance, obviously, but it's actually me recognizing that I needed to take time away from work and do things that allow me to think as well. And I think a good life work balance, it's not binary, but you know, cause you're, as you're a leader, when you're a leader, you're always kind of thinking about work in some regard, but you have to think. And I also think you have to think about life and you have to think about relationships in today's environment when you can, there's millions of things being thrown at you from Twitter and TikTok and you name this, you know, there's so much information out there. And if you're at work, you have emails and calls, there's not a lot of time to think. And I think if you really want to grow as a person, as a father, as a husband, as a leader, then you got to think. Uh, and to me, when you're when you're on a surfboard out there in the lineup, you better not have your phone. You will not. It'll not be. <laughs> you're not going to be texting well. people. <laughs> and so it's a way to force me to get out there and enjoy. I love being on the water. I love everything about nature and, and that environment. And you know, it's kind of my peaceful moment. You know, in between waves coming in. But so it's a way to think. And I think as a leader, you're better for that because it allows you actually to think strategically. It allows you to think not about answering the next email, but about hey, where does the company need to go, or where does my family need to go, or what am I doing right or wrong, and and again, I think we can all we can all benefit from thinking more. So for me, it's the metaphor. And again, it's whether you surf or whether it's yoga or whether it's skiing or just reading. Yeah, I think I think thinking is important. And I think that's uh, what I always encourage people to do. So and yeah, it's definitely a dichotomy from the normal military book focused on discipline. I think I think discipline is important. Discipline is important in life, but I think self discipline is important. I don't think you have to be disciplined, overly disciplined with others. So I think discipline is a personal thing. But I think, you know, the book ideally captures the softer side of leadership and what I think is actually more important, which is how you build a team and how you inspire people and how you build the culture you want. You do that well and you're off to the races and any company you work with or nonprofit you work with like I do or or ship in the Navy or you name it, your family, you're, you're going to do amazing things. But, you know, spend time thinking about that and spend time thinking about what it means to build relationships and meet new people and, and uh, yeah, build the culture you want. And I think people will be surprised to hear the the kindness and the the softness, if you will, in this book and in this leadership. It's it's not we expect something, a certain mindset from the military. We have a perception and and you kind of blow that away because kindness is a core leadership value for you. And it is. And. And that again, that's not something you would normally associate with the military. That's not the first word that comes to mind. So talk about that. What is the role that kindness has played for you in the military and in becoming a strong leader to teach others to be kind leaders? Yeah, you know, I credit what I learned growing up and having a great family and great parents and and the importance of just kindness in your day-to-day living. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not perfect. I'll I'll get frustrated with traffic and, and crazy drivers like everybody else, but I've never, I've never regretted being kind to somebody 
And so I I think it's an important thing as a person, as a leader to know that being kind is actually a position of strength, right? It takes a certain amount of confidence to know that you can be kind. You can default to kindness and you can accept some vulnerability in doing so. But in the end, it actually makes you stronger. In the end, you're helping somebody out. And I'm a, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I believe that everybody in, in on the planet wants to do good things, whether it's for themselves, their families. And, and there's not a lot, I mean, there's some people obviously that they're maybe misguided, but I think in general, I'm a really big believer in just people. And I believe that people want to do good things. And I think that as a person, as a leader, if you can help people do good things, then it, then it comes back in spades because that's just the environment you want to be in. But I also think it's a position of strength. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I work out all the time. I'm, I, you know, I flew helicopters and fighters in combat. You know, I've shot all kinds of guns. I'm very disciplined. I, and I have this, you know, not, I'm going to say aggressive side, but I have this understand the importance of that, particularly in the military environment. But I also, you know, that's, that's a self-discipline and I don't try to be overly disciplined or hold people to that standard. That's my own personal standard. But I think then when you extend yourself from a position of competence, you, why not be kind? Cause there's no, there's really no downside to it. And, the people that say you're going to be taken advantage of, and you hear this in the military a lot, if you're overly kind, someone's going to take advantage of you. Okay, maybe, maybe one in a thousand, but the other 999 are going to just appreciate it because they are looking for assistance. And if you're a leader, that is what you're doing. You're helping people. And so mm-hmm. that tends to be my default day to day. And I and I think I learn more from people when you start, you approach it that way. And, you know, I, you know, so that's kind of my, it's, it's leadership and it's life. And I think it's just, I think it's just a better way to approach it. I think Maybe the world could use more of it, but oh, it absolutely could, especially now. And how do you think it affected the men and women who served underneath you? I think one. I mean, again, and I want to be clear: you, you have to have standards. You can't run an organization without sure. standards and expectations, and you want to hold people accountable in a good way. It doesn't mean you have to fire people; it just means that here's what I need you to do. Here's why we need to do it. And if you can't, let me know how I can help you, and and we can talk about it. If you you can't, but but I think that my approach to it and, and why I just like to talk to everybody like we're equals because in the military, it's very hierarchical, right? It's, there's mm-hmm. already rank and structure and name you called sir and ma'am. And, and so I think I did my best to, I mean, so I knew I had that positional authority already. So the question is, do I need to exert any more authority in a situation? So if I could talk to somebody, I mean, I used to say, if I could go talk to somebody wearing PT gears, so they didn't know my rank and who I was, I just would learn so much more. So I would try to approach every relationship with every sailor from just an equal footing, because in the end, we're all, we're all pretty much the same. We just have maybe different opportunities or, or better in some areas than the other. And I think through that, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the culture and what I could do better. And I think I built a lot of trust. And I think the end of the day for any organization or in particular the military, um, you know, trust is essential. Trust allows you to operate effectively, quickly. It it builds that teamwork because you know someone's got your back. And it's it's the number one commodity, you, I think, as a leader, you try to build through culture and everything else and, and the actions you take. So being kind, I think, was just a step in the right direction to build that trust. And, you know, it's not just enough to have a nice conversation. You have to follow up with your actions. But I think that trust was was something I always thought about and, and worked on trying to build upon. And then, so at the end of the day, when, you know, when I was in the situation where I felt like you know, I spent so much time building the trust from the crew and my team that I, then I couldn't turn my back on them just so because we were worried about what the political reaction might be to the situation we we're having with COVID. So I try to stay true to that. And do you think that influenced the way that they responded? Was it because of your kindness that they were there was such an outpouring for you? I think so. I, I mean, maybe not me directly, but maybe it's the culture that we build and and 
and certainly a lot of the day-to-day interactions. I, I like to spend as much time as I could walking around the ship, talking to people. And so I think because of that, I did establish that that personal connection with many of them. Not all. I mean, 5,000 is a lot, so it takes you a lot of time. But but I think I was able to establish enough personal connections and get to know enough people that that they felt very connected. And that's trust, right? They felt like they could trust me because they knew me. And if you know somebody, you can trust them more. So I think it was that. I think it's a reaction to what I was really focused on was building that positive culture and and building that trust. And so you know, when I when I departed, I think they wanted to send me off appropriately. And I didn't, you know, I didn't see anger. I mean, there's some people who might have been angry at the decisions made above me, but I think for the most part, they just wanted to recognize uh, and appreciate, you know, appreciate what I had done on their behalf. And, and it was founded probably in that trust I tried to build over the, over time I spent with them. That's great. Yeah. Cause you do put a huge emphasis on relationships. It's how you start the book talking about that. Yeah. Where, again, where does that come from? And tell us why it is so important to nurture those relationships, whether it's in your workplace with an organization, whatever it is that you're doing? One, I just, I like meeting people and I like learning about people. I think, I mean, you have to be humble enough to know you don't know everything and understand the best way to learn things is is maybe talking to people, right? It's, it's you know, you and I have different perspectives or different experiences, but I'm going to learn just by talking with you today and, and hopefully people listening will do the same. So I think, it, and it's not, I don't say there's a, every relationship is transactional. I just think that it's just a better way to, if you're confident enough to open yourself up, you're going to make these strong relationships and that in turn is going to make you stronger and you're going to learn a lot. And I, I do want to learn as much as I can. And, you know, as I, as my wife tells me, I've failed in this, my, my efforts to retire now, it's, it's really because <laughs> I, I'm, I like to stay busy. And I like to work with people. And, but I also knew that what I really valued and what I learned during my time in the military was the importance of relationships. And, and so I chose a path now with a non, you know, large nonprofit here in San Diego. It's, it's more people focused. It's more, you know, day-to-day interaction with people and learning. And, and we help uh, homeless veterans and, you know, veterans struggling with substance abuse problems and mental health. And I, you know, my favorite thing to do is walk around and talk to these veterans that we've brought off the street or, you know, through their struggles and, and just try to talk to them one-on-one. Cause you learn a lot, you learn about their struggles and their challenges and we're all just people. And some people trip and stumble and need a hand up and others, you know, do better, but it's kind of coming together to help people. I think that can be pretty satisfying. And I, and I know I learn a lot from them or these veterans. So. So there are a ton of lessons in here, a lot of great stories. What's the thing that you hope readers most take away from this book? Uh, I think, you know, the number one thing is it's okay. You know, if you have a, if you're ever in a situation default to kindness and I, and I, whether that's professionally, personally, I think is I think it's so critical as a leader to understand that because I think we get in this world where it's all about metrics and revenue streams and growth and and numbers and that's that's great management stuff and and you need to be pay attention as a leader but I think leaders that if you want to be successful you have to understand the people that you work with and you need to understand how to build the trust and the culture you want and I think it comes down then to how can you find a way to be kind find a way to help them how to build those relationships and you're going to do amazing things, no doubt. I don't, you know, I don't care what kind of company, whether you're making widgets or cars or, you know, or cat food. It's, it's the key to success is building a team, and and that's everybody. It's a little different for everybody, but, you know, again, it kind of comes down to when in doubt, be kind. It's kind of, the, you know, maybe it's a, it's a takeoff of the golden rule, right? Uh, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. But I think mm-hmm. that's so fundamental in leadership as well as you know, lead how you want to be led, or when in doubt, be kind. 
because I think that's just a better way to approach it. And I guarantee, and I guarantee you're going to have results. So it's not just be nice and you know. I'm just saying you're you will build a better team, and and you will be more successful if you do. Love it, Brett. Thank you so much for talking with me today. We've got a lot to learn from you. Fortunately, the book has all your lessons. Well, not all your lessons, but it has a great starter set of lessons for everybody. <laughs> so uh, we're going to tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can find the book. But I, I wish you continued success with it. And thank you so much. Yeah, it was a great, great to chat with you today. And uh, I wish you the best as well. But thanks for the time. That was Brett Crozier talking about leading with kindness. If you'd like to learn more about Brett and his book, Surf When You Can, or follow him on social media, just visit us at livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.